I've got the absolute privilege, pleasure of introducing Alice to you. So why don't we welcome Alice. Hello. With our best Trent Vineyard welcome. Whoop, whoop. And um, some of you, if you've been around long enough, you actually might remember Alice because Alice was part of Trent. Like, how long ago now are we talking? Oh, was the question. Uh, I was looking because a couple of people were nodding at me and I was like, oh, hello. Um, I was part, I left here. 14 years ago. 14 years ago. And um, as part of that, they've been on the journey. They, went to, they went to London, and now they're part of Cardiff Vineyard. And if you don't know, we're, we're part of a family of churches called The Vineyard. And uh, we planted James and Jen out from here to plant a church in Cardiff in 2008. Alice and her husband, Matt, are now the senior associate pastors there. Alice is a dear, dear friend of mine. You might know she's here um, with her twin sister. They've left their husbands and the kids back home. And um, they're here today. Road trip. And uh, it's been a blessing. Road trip, absolutely brilliant. So Alice is a really gifted communicator. And this message um, was, she'll explain, but it, it, it all landed in the room. So let's pray for her. Holy Spirit, we just thank you so much for Alice. Lord, I thank you for the gift of communication that you've given her. Thank you that she loves you, Lord. She loves the scriptures. She loves your spirit. And just pray that as she speaks, like today, Lord, that our hearts would be open to what you want to say and do through us. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Oh, thanks, Susie. Thank you for having me, everyone. I appreciate it. it's a slightly kind of um, different Sunday, a sadder Sunday, than obviously the uh, context of this week, the sad events of this week. But at the same time, I also feel like I'm amongst family this morning. As Susie said, I left here some 14 years ago, but... Coming back here to me always feels like kind of a homecoming. This church has been a big part of my life and of my faith, and it just still feels like home. So it's lovely to be here with family this morning. I did the discipleship year here. I met my husband here. We got married here. I journeyed through some of the toughest moments of my life here. Jesus did some of the deepest works in my soul here. My faith came alive here. And of course, I now have the joy of helping lead a church that was planted from here. So it feels like a homecoming. Thank you for having me. That's very kind. As I sought the Lord on what to speak on today, I felt really, really clearly led to a very simple story that Jesus told, one that many of you may already know. It's a simple message, but one that I felt that the Lord said needs to be said in this moment that we find ourselves in. Even more so now with the context of this week, which I was unaware of whilst writing this talk. Today I just want to look at the story Jesus told of the wise and foolish builders. And you can find this story in both Matthew and Luke's account of Jesus' life. Today we're going to look at Matthew's account of it if you want to find it. It's Matthew 7, 24 to 27. These are the words of Jesus. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, And the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Now, I didn't grow up in church, but as a young child, my mum would drop us off at the uh, local Sunday school when she had jobs to do at home and just needed us out the house. So I remember from some of those Sunday school mornings singing a song about this parable, along with some pretty jazzy actions. And remember it? The wise man built his house upon the rock. Oh, 
you got it. What a lovely, thank you for humoring me and singing. Like, you can stop there, it's fine. It's a nice song, kind of, perhaps. I mean, who doesn't love a song with actions? Some of you are like me. <laughs> um, but I do wonder if we're in danger of making more jolly a story that is actually quite serious when you think about it. For the second man in this story, the man who builds his house on sand, this story ends in disaster. Do you know, the, the other day, whilst writing this talk, we had a mini flood in our downstairs bathroom. My, young, my eldest son came upstairs. Um, it was early in the morning. It was like 6.30 in the morning. He was already downstairs watching telly whilst my husband, Matt, and I were still asleep in bed because, hey, that's just great parenting, right? So he came up and he was like, Mummy, there's a funny noise coming from the downstairs bathroom. I was like, oh, Matt, you go. So Matt went out of bed, went and had a look, and he came upstairs and was like, love, we have a problem. I went downstairs, and it turns out that the pipe under the sink had kind of split, and water was spraying out of it. It was this kind of flexi pipe hose thing. I really need to learn what the actual technical term for it was, but you know, like coming under, under, the, under the taps. And as I pulled it out to see if I could kind of stop this leak in some way, the whole thing just burst open. And suddenly, like, water was pouring out, literally buckets of water pouring out in our house. Now, to make matters worse, the stopcock in our house is actually boxed off. We can't use it. We are now rectifying that. But it's boxed, up, but, um, it's boxed off. Now, Matt was out in the street where we normally would have to turn the water off from, and he'd lifted up the cover thing. But it turns out there's also a leak in there. So this uh, kind of manhole thing, it's all full of water and mud. He cannot find the stopcock in there. And when he does locate it, it's jammed. He cannot turn the water off. It was all going wrong. Water was literally everywhere in our house. Now, I can kind of laugh about it now, but it was actually quite scary. I just didn't, we didn't know what to do. Now, we are like blessed with some of the nicest people in the world in our street in Cardiff. So if you want to move to Cardiff, I recommend it. And, um, uh, and so opposite us, we have like one of those wonderful, like practical men who reassuringly can do everything. You know the type. And so I ran over. I mean, it's 6.30 in the morning. I am in my pyjamas, but absolutely drenched. And so I kind of run over the road, and I'm like pounding on his door, wake up, wake up, wake up. And he comes down. And I say to him, you know, the, uh, the tap's leaking. And now his wife, she's upstairs in bed and thinks that I've said that someone's bleeding. She's misheard. So she runs down too. They run over to our house. And thankfully, reassuringly, it took him a little while to sort the problem out, which was reassuring. Um, but um, he came, and he managed to sort the whole thing out because he's blessed in ways that Matt and I are clearly not. Joe, he was a super guy. He came back later on after work, unasked by us, but wonderfully welcome, with this hose pipe thing that was needed, this flexi pipe, fixed the whole sink for us. Jobs are good and what a legend. But you know, it was only uh, when I sat down to finish this talk later on that day, I suddenly wondered about the significance of writing a talk about a foolish man whose house floods. I was like, Lord, should I be offended? I don't know. <laughs> it turned out okay for us in the end. But for what you know, it was pretty frightening to just have all this water pouring into our house. Likewise, in this story, you know, put any of your own Sunday school experiences aside for a moment if you have them. See here that Jesus is actually telling a rather serious story, both in terms of the story itself and the message that he's driving towards. In this kind of disarmingly simple way that Jesus had over the course of just a few sentences, Jesus gives a vivid warning of the danger of building your life on anything other than him.
on building on anything other than his way for our lives. And notice he actually tells two stories, doesn't he, in the one story. There's two men, two houses, two different outcomes which point to two different realities. And what Jesus is doing is he speaks to this crowd in front of him and, of course, by extension, us. He's saying, hey, which of these two realities do you want to be true for your life? Notice that how Jesus, I mean, Jesus was a master storyteller, wasn't he? And notice how he uses these contrasts throughout the parable to kind of drive home his point, to make clear that there are these two paths ahead of us that we can choose between. I just want to kind of consider some of those contrasts with you guys this morning. The first one is this, wise and foolish. One man is wise, verse 24, and the other foolish, verse 26. Now, the word wise here in the original Greek means considered, thoughtful, showing great understanding. And of course, foolishness means lacking those things. Wisdom versus foolishness. That's the contrast that is being made. Not good versus bad. Not even saved versus not saved. Which might be surprising to you. In fact, in Luke's account of this story, Luke 6.46, Jesus begins by saying, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? So he's talking to people who recognize him as Lord, who want to learn from him and follow him. Jesus isn't simply making a contrast here between those that have faith in him and those who don't, per se, though of course this will come into it. No, the contrast Jesus is actually making is between being wise or foolish. And for Jesus, a wise person, verse 24, if you look at it, is someone who hears his words, his teachings, and puts them into practice. They live their life by them. It's worth realizing that Jesus tells this story at the end of his biggest teaching block, the Sermon on the Mount. I'm obviously not going to read it all now, so don't panic. But it's Matthew chapters 5 to 7. Maybe here you want to read that in your own time this week. But if you were just to look through the sermon, you'd see that Jesus teaches across the whole width and breadth of the Christian life. I mean, just life generally, actually, and what it means to be a disciple. He teaches on anger, lust, integrity, caring for the poor, marriage, how to pray, how to forgive, how to fast, how to handle our money, how to be light bearers to the world around us. He speaks into our tendency to worry and to have anxiety, our propensity to judge others. It's all in there. And so Jesus is painting this beautiful picture of what the Christian life is like, what our discipleship to him can be like as we walk it out in the day-to-day stuff with Jesus as our guide. And Jesus is then saying here at the end of that teaching that wisdom comes from hearing this and then doing it. Wise people, he's saying, are marked by their obedience to his teachings, to his kingdom message, to his way of life. Eugene Peterson said this, discipleship is a long obedience in the same direction. I love that. I want that to be a summary of my life, a long obedience in the same direction towards Jesus, towards looking more and more like the one that we follow. Now, do remember that we obey because we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to do so. This isn't just kind of doing stuff on our own effort. You know, willpower can get us a certain way, can't it? But it's deeply frustrating, ultimately. No, this is about the Holy Spirit empowering us, bearing fruit in us to then walk out this stuff day by day with Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit that empowers us to live in more and more freedom, which to Jesus is synonymous with living in more and more obedience. They're the same thing. This is wisdom. This is the best choice you'll ever make. Life of the Spirit, where we move more and more towards the things of Jesus, where we live in more and more obedience, that is where freedom is found in our lives. 
This makes sense, Jesus is saying. This is like the best choice you will ever make for your life, to live my way for your life. So wise or foolish? Secondly, rock or sand? Jesus goes on to say that the wise person knows that when we choose to live this way, it's like we build our lives on a firm foundation. Now, I don't know about you, but I'd always pictured this parable when I'd read it. Again, probably inspired by like a kid's coloring sheet in my Sunday school days. I'd always imagined it like this, a kind of a seaside scene in mind. And you've got these two guys building, they're each going to build their house. One of them chooses to build it up there on the cliff, away from the sea and the wind and the waves up there. And then one guy, bit of an idiot, if you've ever made a sandcastle, decides to build it on the sand below, right by the seaside. Like picture, if you're me, I'm now picturing Barry Island, Barry Bados, as we call it in South Wales. Maybe you're picturing Skegness or something like that. That's what I'd always pictured it like in my mind. That's not quite the vibe of what's going on here in this parable. You see, in the hot summer months, the sand around the Sea of Galilee, which is the area where Jesus is teaching, was hard on the surface. It looked like rock. So it would be easy to mistake it as such and build your house on it. To think that you were building on something more solid than you were. In contrast, a wise builder would know that appearances can be deceptive. They would know they needed to build several feet below the sand to the bedrock, the rock under the sand, in order to establish the foundation for the house. The rock was underneath the sand. I mean, less of my childhood understanding of here's a cliff, here's the seaside, and there's these two houses. This is not a story about location, as much as it is about foundations. This is a story about whether you have a foundation for your life or not. These two houses could have been built side by side on the same street, in fact, one with foundations and one without. After Matt and I got married here in 2007, 2008, we then moved to London. And we ended up in this flat in West London on the edge of this like, really fancy area in London called Barnes. And just up the road from us were these like, several streets of these really, really big, luxurious Georgian houses. These like, mansions that were home to the, the mega rich. And there was this trend, it's still happening now, where people, if they wanted to extend their houses, I mean, they couldn't go any further sideways. This is like London, everything's packed in. So what people have started doing is they dig out the basement, even maybe a couple of floors, under the ground to put in their, you know, like luxury jacuzzis and gyms and swimming pools and, I don't know, somewhere to park your Ferrari. I'm sure the kind of thing we've all done in our houses, right? Yeah, that kind of thing. Um, and, um, and so, yeah, this was happening when we were there. And then one day, this house, one of the houses nearest to us just fell down. I mean, thankfully, no one was hurt. It turned out the excavation work under the basement had unintentionally more or less just dug out the foundations to this house. And this house had literally been standing on nothing. And one day, the whole thing just fell down. Jesus' point is that it is foolish to build a house, which of course in this story is a metaphor for your life, without a firm foundation. And of course, as we'll go on to see in a minute, Whilst it all might look okay for a while, it's only a matter of time till a storm comes along and you realise that your life just can't stand up to it, that there is nothing solid underneath you. Jesus is saying that he is the only firm foundation on which to build our lives. Elsewhere, he refers to himself as the cornerstone, which is a similar metaphor, same metaphor, referring back to prophecies like the one we find here in Psalm 118. The stone Uh, that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it is wonderful to see. So wonderful. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. He is the cornerstone 
our firm foundation. And then it says, we rejoice and be glad because this is simply the best news, isn't it? I mean, this is pure grace. It says there in that Psalm, this is God's doing. This is the Lord's doing. Because of what Jesus did, dying for us on the cross, overcoming death itself, we get to be in relationship with him. We get to live a life in the spirit with our lives built on the foundation of Jesus. I mean, there is no better place on which for you to build your life. There is nothing better than Jesus. Just think for a moment just how powerful, how beautiful, how kind it is that Jesus would use a metaphor of a house or of a home in order to describe our relationship with him. Just think of the feelings that the very word home can evoke in us. Like as I say that word home now, what does it make you feel? Home speaks of a sense of place, doesn't it? A sense of identity, a sense of security, a sense of belonging, of being known. Jesus commands us in John 15 to make our home in him. It says throughout that chapter, John 15, it says abide in me or remain in me, like repetitively throughout. You can essentially just translate that as make your home in me. That is the invitation of Jesus. I mean, what a beautiful invitation. Get your place in this world from me. Get your sense of identity from me. Get your sense of security from me. Your sense of acceptance from me. I mean, what an invitation that is, isn't it? But of course, it's easy to say yes and then to build on something else, to make our home elsewhere. To build on what looks like rock, but is actually sand. To get your sense of place, identity, security, belonging elsewhere. What is your house built on? Where do you get your sense of place, identity, security, belonging? Maybe your house is built on other people's approval. Maybe it's built on always feeling financially secure or on being successful or being busy or being, on achieving all the time. Maybe it's built on church ministry or on being loved and accepted, or on being a saviour to others, or on being needed, on being right all the time. For some people, it's simply just your football team winning, or the next Amazon package arriving, or on how well your child does on their next exam. Maybe it's on unhealthy relationships, like you have to feel desired in order to feel loved. Maybe it's built on having a great family, or great friends, or a great job, or at least having a profile on your social media that looks like you do. Some of you here this morning, you know you are literally building on sand right now. That your life is not in this stable, healthy place. Maybe it's in a place of dependence. It feels like it could just all come crashing down in one moment. And for others of us, maybe it's not so obvious. Especially as some of the things I've just talked about can be good things in and of themselves. They should just never become the ultimate thing. It's easy to think you are building on rock when you are actually building on sand. What are you building your life on right now that isn't Jesus' way for your life? As we said, building your house on sand can work for, for so long. It can get you so far. The problem often comes when the weather changes. Wise or foolish, secondly, rock or sand, and then finally, stand or fall. Just look at how the story ends, verse 27. The rain came down, the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. The question I felt like I wanted to ask you all this morning is this, are you storm ready? Are you storm ready? In Luke's account of this story, Jesus says in Luke 6:48, when the flood came, 
Underline that word when, if that's the kind of thing you do in your Bible, or just put it into your brain. When the storm came. Not if, but when. That's the language of Scripture, Psalm 23, 4. Even when, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. When. We all need a theology in place for our lives, a foundation on which we can stand for when difficulty arises, don't we? What do you want your faith to look like in those moments when the storm comes? Now, like many of you, I've been through some difficult things in my life. When I was 22, I'd just moved here. I was just about to start the discipleship year here, which I was super excited to do. And then I lost my mum. She passed away. And then a few years later, my stepdad, who essentially had been a dad to me growing up, he then passed away too. I lost them both in my 20s. It was devastating. And I've had people say to me, Christians included, how can your faith stand firm in those times? How can you believe that God is good or real or that prayer makes a difference? Hear me here, there is validity and permission to asking those questions. Of course there is. I've asked them myself in the past. Maybe you're asking them here this morning. But having journeyed through that awfully hard season in my life alongside family members who don't have faith in Jesus, family members who, like me, were in a deep place of grief, but who had no foundations on Jesus the rock, I've come to see the choice before us in those stormy seasons slightly differently. I've reframed it in my mind. When the storm comes, when, not if, you can choose to go through those times with God or without God, clinging on to him despite the deep mystery of suffering, despite the questions, despite the seemingly unanswered prayers. Or you can just allow yourself to be cut adrift. And I know which choice I'd rather make. Now, I'm not to hear me right here. I cannot do justice to the mystery of why it is we go through such times of suffering. Please do not hear from me this morning any kind of neat pat theology. I know personally how unhelpful that can be. I do know, however, that one day all things will be made right. And I hang on to that promise. I stand on that promise as one of Jesus' promises, a foundation in my life. When the storm comes, when, not if, you can choose to go through these times with God or without God, with Jesus as your foundation or not. And I know which I'd rather do. What are you building your life on right now? Are you storm ready? He is the only foundation in our lives. The only thing that remains when all else is stripped away. When anything else we've built our lives on is exposed as just sand, not rock. And of course this is true for us both in moments of personal, individual difficulty. But it's also true for us in times of collective difficulty. You know, even before the events of the last few days, it's been clear that the last few years have been as traumatic, as unsettling as anything that most of us have known in our lifetime. And of course, looking at the barometers for the season ahead, I think it's pretty safe to say that we have more storms on the horizon. I think people are scared and rattled right now. Now more than ever, people need to hear the truth that faith in Jesus is the only firm foundation on which to build your life. That is good news, isn't it? For some of us today, it is like you are literally in the middle of a storm right now, clinging on to Jesus. Let this talk just be a word of hope for you as we look forward, not with fear, but in faith. Verse 24, the rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Build your life on Jesus, on his way for your life. 
in obedience to him. You will not fall. Whatever comes your, this way, whatever comes your way, this side of heaven, he will have the last word on the other side. For others of us, you're not in the midst of a storm right now, but you do have this sense of unease, unhappiness, a deep longing in your soul. I've come to think of this feeling as like a spiritual homesickness. If any of you have been homesick, you will know it's a dreadful feeling, isn't it? You know, as a child with divorced parents, I would go and stay as a very young child with my dad and his new wife. And for lots of different reasons, that was really, really difficult. I'd go a few times a year. And I still remember as a really little child that awful feeling of homesickness in those weeks, of just feeling all at sea, all out of kilter, longing for home. And you know, this is still a feeling I still feel at times, especially in a season of change or uncertainty. I can still tap into that feeling. I have this longing for home. The Welsh have a great word for it, hiraith. It's a great word, hiraith. Particularly used in Wales to talk of a longing to be back in Wales for your homeland. Now, we don't have an English equivalent, but I often feel a deep sense of hiraith. Why? I mean, I have a lovely home, family, I'm blessed in so many ways. But I still have this longing, and I've come to understand this, that this feeling is ultimately a longing for a home that awaits me. When I am finally at home with Jesus, and all will be well. But of course, the kingdom message for Jesus, uh, the kingdom message of Jesus is both future and now. We get to experience the future that awaits us now. Do you know that? Jesus promises that we can make our home in him now, today, this side of eternity. That is the good news of Jesus. Our faith is a homecoming faith. Just think of the story of the prodigal son. The son returns home to where he was always meant to be. Maybe you've never said yes to Jesus. Maybe this is your moment to say yes to him, to come home to him today. It's where you were always meant to be. So when those feelings of horaith rise up in my own heart, I've come to see it as this warning light on the dashboard of my soul that I need to push back into the things of Jesus. It's a warning sign that I've perhaps been building my life on sand. It's a reminder that maybe I've lost sight of Jesus, the only firm foundation, that I need to come home to him. If that's you today, if that's you this morning, come before Jesus, invite him to be the rock of your life again. Prioritize time with him. Anything else you do this week, prioritize time with him this week. Abide in him. Make your home in him again this week. Don't be tempted to fill that longing you feel with anything other than Jesus. That's where it all goes horribly wrong. Only fill that longing that you feel with Jesus. Maybe for all of us, this simple, powerful story that Jesus told a really long time ago is just a reminder to continue to press forward in our discipleship with Jesus, to take it seriously and joyfully, to prioritize being obedient to him, to live the life that he teaches us to lead, a life empowered by the Spirit, moving in more freedom and more obedience to how he tells us to live. To listen to what he has to say and respond with our yes in every area of our lives, holding nothing back, knowing that storms will come, knowing that he is the only foundation. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Amen.